right, and good evening, Ridge Point Church. We're really glad that you're here as we're uh, kind of celebrating Christmas together. We're also in the midst, if you've been a part of Ridge Point Church the last three weeks, we're in the midst of a series uh, that we're calling A Thrill of Hope. And, and, and listen, one of the things I love is that whenever we gather together as a church that we're uh, just passionately pursuing God and to see that uh, just an audible response during the last couple of songs, really just a powerful chance uh, for us to gather together to celebrate that. Uh, listen, growing up, uh, my, my parents didn't necessarily have a whole lot growing up, and, and so conversely, when my brother and I were born, I'm the oldest of two brothers, uh, when we were born, we didn't have a whole lot. We're kind of what we probably consider a lower middle class, and, and yet as much as we, 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 didn't, we never went without, we, we had some stuff, but it wasn't a lot, and, and we didn't really even, even know that. Uh, but my parents, especially my mom, always made a big deal about Christmas, like for, for them, uh, the rest of the year, we might not have a whole lot, but Christmas, we want to make that a big deal and, and let us know how much we were loved and appreciated. And, and so especially as young children, we really, really enjoyed that. We were really excited about it. Christmas was a big deal at our house. And for us, uh, sometime around the beginning of December, there was something that came in the mail that marked the Christmas holidays for us. And these kids know nothing about that. But at the beginning of December, we got in the mail, and this kind of gone uh, by the wayside, but we got the big J.C. Penney Christmas catalog. And yeah, like, like whatever half of that, it was, like it was there, and then all of a sudden it was gone, and, and you had the Sears Wish Book. Now, we didn't get that because my mom worked for J.C. Penney for a little while, so we had the J.C. Penney version. But the Sears Wish Book, that thing kept getting bigger and bigger, and it topped out in 1988. It was 676 pages of goodness. Like, that's how thick that thing was. When it, when, I mean, it came down like a, a doorstop at your house. It was a huge deal. And for, for my brother and I, we grew up and, and kind of we started skimming through the book. And the first two-thirds of the book, uh, we flipped through real quickly because it was the clothes and the jewelry, you know, all the boring stuff. We don't care about that stuff. Like, get us to the good stuff. And my brother and I would just flip to the toys and the other kids' stuff. And, and we would begin by just kind of dreaming and going through that book and, and circling different things and writing down lists. And, and, and the thing is, is that it was for us both the best and, and the worst side of Christmas. Now, now, we know that Christmas is about a lot more than gifts. But as a young kid, you're excited about those things. And it was both the best and the worst side of Christmas for this reason. Uh, we're excited, but especially as we grew older, got into our early teen years, uh, our parents wanted to make sure we were getting what we wanted for Christmas, and, and so there wasn't as much wonder, there wasn't so much of the surprise of, hey, what are we getting for Christmas this year, because my parents wanted to make sure, okay, what do you guys really want, and we, we had some measure of predictability about what we were getting that Christmas, except for a couple of times when our parents threw us some, some curveballs, some things we weren't expecting. But here's why we love the side of being able to pick out our gifts, but on the other side, you kind of lost the surprise. And the bigger the surprise that there was in our life, the bigger we were like not sure about what was, was going to come, the greater the sense of expectancy. The bigger the surprise, the, the greater the anticipation. And when it came to that, that, those toys, we always kind of thought that way, like, man, if, if I didn't know what was coming on Christmas and I woke up Christmas morning, there's a lot of anticipation. Now, if I knew what was coming, there's anticipation about being able to open those things up, but there wasn't the surprise anymore. The bigger the surprise, the greater the anticipation. You know, I wonder about the anticipation at, at the first Christmas, because there was a lot of surprise. Now this year we're going through a list of, of children born in the last year here at Ridge Point Church. And we got a list of eight, nine or ten children that have born, been born this year. One that still is expected to be born, I think, by the end of this year. And one coming at the beginning of 2017. 
And for each of those parents, we've had a lot of first-time parents, especially this year. And for each of, each of those parents, there's a sense of expectancy, the, the unknown of, of what's going to happen. What's the child going to be like? What's their personality going to be like? Who are they going to favor? Who are they going to take after? When is he going to be able to lift his head? When is she going to be able to crawl? When are they going to be able to walk and, and run? Are they going to be able to sleep? Am I going to be able to sleep? Like, like especially for first-time parents, maybe in general all parents, but especially for first-time parents, those are all big deals, and there's this sense of surprise and expectancy. I don't know what's going to happen after that baby comes. It's true of any baby. But I think it was especially true when we look at the life and the story of Jesus. Because Jesus was the one, the deliverer who had been promised to the people of Israel for hundreds of years. And you know what they were looking for in delivery is not what God had, had really promised or what God had intended. And so there's this sense of surprise because really what they anticipated wasn't what was going to take place. And there's this, this, this suspense, there's this buildup. And then angels start, start to come and start to herald the birth through a number of different means. Angels come and tell Mary that she's pregnant, this teenage mother. What were the emotions that she was going through? And then to come to Joseph and to say, the wife that you're engaged to, the woman that you're engaged to, uh, she's pregnant and he knew he hadn't been with her. And what does that mean? What were the wide range of emotions that he went through? You see, I, I think one of the things, one of the challenges that we face, I think one of the greatest challenges the, the Christian church faces in the United States today is that for most of us, we grew up hearing these stories so much so that we've become kind of immune to them. We've heard the stories, become so familiar to them that it doesn't seem like that big a deal. But for these people, this was real life. This was their story. They didn't have 2,000 years of context to say, oh, I've heard that all before. And so when the angels appear to the shepherds, and the multitude of heavenly hosts are praising God. It's all new to them. What was it like for them? What was it like for the, the wise men to, to see the star and to travel maybe for years to come and, and to see Jesus? What was it like for them? What was the range of emotions they were going through? What was the surprise, the anticipation? I think probably the most elegant words that we read on the topic were from his mother. Of course they're from mom. Like, mom probably knows that child the best. Excuse me one second. But in, in Luke chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up there. But in Luke chapter 1, what is happening at this point in the story is, is Mary knows that she's pregnant with Jesus. She understands the, the weight of that. And she has gone to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who's also pregnant, with a boy who'd grow up to become John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. And so Mary is visiting with her cousin Elizabeth, and it's during that time that the weight of what is taking place, like she has uh, been promised this, this gift, this, this child, that's going to forever change the world, and she's had some time to begin to process that. And I think it's at this point, spending time with her cousin, that the weight of what is happening, that through her, literally deliverance is coming, through her, all of history is going to be changed. And it's very probable that she's still a, a teenage, a teenager at this point. And yet the depth of, of the phrases that she uses here 
And the depth of the understanding is beyond her years. When in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, it says, And Mary said, imagine it, a teenage, teenager saying this. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, watch this. For behold, from now on, all generations will, be call, will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud, the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary, a teenager, speaks these words. She knows the, the, the depth of the emotions that she's going through. And she also understands the severity of the situation. And she speaks those words because she knows that she's about to give birth to the one who's promised to deliver his people. But yet the birth still came as a surprise to so many who are, look, who are looking for something else. And so tonight I want to try to do something a little, bit, a little bit different. It's so hard to look at the story and say, how can we talk about something that we've not heard over and over in a way that makes this story fresh and new to us? And yet I think that's something that we all have to do every day as we approach our faith. Is how do I make this new and alive? And how do I approach Scripture as if it's alive in my life? And so I want to look at Jesus coming. I want to talk about three things that Jesus came as. And so if you're following along, we'll look at this. The scripture we looked at, we'll look at some other places. But three things that Jesus came as. Number one, Jesus came as a baby. We realize that that's not a surprise to any of us, that, that he's born of, of Mary and Joseph. And not just a normal baby, he's, he, he's, he's born, he, there's no place he has to go and have a, a borrowed stable, and he's put in a manger. And, but yet Jesus comes as a real life, as an actual baby. But we know he doesn't stay that way. He grows up. The Bible doesn't speak a whole lot about the years that he's growing up. The Bible just says he grew in wisdom and he grew in stature. And he grew in, in his knowledge, he grew in his intellect, but he also grew in his size. He became a teenager and later an adult. He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor of God and in favor with, with man. I mean, he grew up just like us. He dealt with the pressures we dealt with. He, he, he faced those, those temptations and, and yet he was found with, without sin. Jesus grew just like we do. He was born a baby, he didn't stay that way. Now, years ago, there's a movie that came out called Talladega Nights. I'm not condoning the movie at all, but during the movie, Ricky Bobby uh, begins praying. He prays to little baby Jesus, and everybody kind of laughs, says, that's funny. But if that's our knowledge of who Jesus is, then our theology is a little bit warped, because Jesus grew up. And the scripture that Josh and Chris read uh, just a little while ago from Isaiah chapter 9 We've used that as a jumping off point throughout this series of here's what we're talking about when we, when we approach the names of Jesus, here's what we're talking about. And it says about Jesus, for unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given. And then it starts to get into these names a little bit later in that verse, and it says, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, 
Now, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. But when we come to Jesus, when we approach him as, as wonderful counselors, more than just a name, it's, it's who he is. It means that he has gone through the stuff that we've been through. And this year, it seems like there's been some heavier stuff than most. I just thought of someone in the first service, new visitors last couple of weeks, that were dealing with some heavy stuff. And it seems like this year, that's happened over and over over again. And if we could, we'd go back and, and rewrite and say, I wish I could erase that part of the story this year, but we can't. And so those moments where there's anguish, when there's, when there's moments when there's like, God, I don't fully understand. I can approach Jesus as this, this wonderful counselor. He's, he's wonderful in that he's loving and he takes care of us, but he's a counselor who's been there before. When I'm going through something that's heavy and hard in my life, I want to be able to talk to someone who's been there and who who's had success. And so Jesus comes first as wonderful counselor. Second, it says of Jesus, he comes as, as mighty God. When we look at the teaching about who Jesus is, we realize that he is, it is absolutely essential that we believe in the divinity of Jesus. That we believe that he is, uh, he was and he is fully God and fully man. And so he comes, he says that he is mighty God, that means that he is powerful, that means he is in control, but we must believe that he is who he says he is. In the book of John, it says, unless you believe that I am, using the name of the Old Testament name for God, he says, unless you believe that I am, you have no part of me. It is essential that we believe this about Jesus, that he's mighty, that he's in control, that he's part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity. But today we focus on the third name of Jesus, that he's the everlasting Father. Now, as soon as we look at this, this name of Jesus, if you know anything about the, the church and what the church believes, uh, we believe as a church and most uh, uh, conservative theological churches believe that Jesus is, is part of the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God the Father and God the Son are distinct from each other. And Jesus is God the Son, and yet here the name used of Jesus, not of God the Father, but the name used of Jesus is that he is called Everlasting Father. Is that confusing the two parts of the Trinity? Absolutely not. But what it is teaching is this, is that first of all, it's teaching that Jesus is eternal. He's everlasting. In order for him to be mighty God, the second name that we looked at, he must be eternal. He must be everlasting. And so he's everlasting that he, he's distinct in that he's part of the Trinity. They're all from everlasting to everlasting. There is no beginning, no end to him. But he's also a father in that when we approach him, the Bible speaks of Jesus being the firstborn of all creation. And we, we approach him as, yes, he is, he is Jesus, he's God the Son, but he's also a father to us. He's the firstborn over all of us. And that because of that, when the Bible speaks of Adam, it says because of one man, sin entered into the world and death through that sin. So Adam through sin brings death into life. But Jesus comes and through his sacrifice, he brings life into our death. And so because of that, he's our, our father, our everlasting father, our eternal father. So when we speak of him, we speak of him as he, he is all those things. He is the, the mighty, the, the counselor, the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God, and he is the everlasting father. He comes as a baby, but he doesn't stay that way. The second thing Jesus comes as is he comes as a gift. Now, all season long, I've been carrying a gift with me 
when I came to stage every Sunday morning. I don't know if you noticed this or not. I pointed to it the first week. Last week, I kind of just brought it up. Didn't say anything about it. But, but I mentioned this the first week that, that whenever I see a gift that's like nicely wrapped and it's got stuff on it, it just makes me want to open it up and see what's on the inside. And so I've kind of done that as kind of let people, hey, hey, look, we have a present up on stage. To have you wonder, okay, but what's in, what's, what's wrapped up in that gift? What is that? And tonight I want to open that up. And the same thing I've been carrying with me all week, no matter what Chris and Josh said earlier, they didn't have the gift that I had. Uh, so, so I have this gift. Does anybody have any, any clue what they think this is? What does it kind of look like? It's a book. Not only is it a book, let me open this up a second. But it's actually a very specific book. It's a diet book. Now, husbands, I would not recommend you do this for your wife this Christmas. At all, I would not recommend that. But imagine, just for a second, that somebody that you care about, someone that you respect greatly, one of the, the heroes of your life, one of the people you consider a mentor, comes to you and they says, hey, I got a gift for you. And they present you a gift. And maybe it's, maybe it's a diet book or, or maybe even better yet. It's a book on anger management. Now, how do you graciously receive a gift like that? Especially if it's from someone who you greatly respect. You see, often we'll use terminology, and I'll use terminology like this, where we say the gift that Jesus comes, comes with no strings attached. And that's true. That's what faith is all about. It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus did for us. But the gift that Jesus brings is a gift unlike any other gift we could receive. Because if someone comes to me, especially if someone I respect comes to me and says, JJ, I got a book for you, and it's a diet book or it's an anger management book. And I accept that gift graciously. It is forcing me to swallow my pride and to admit that I have faults and that I need help. The gift that Jesus brings is a gift that's humbling to us because we realize when we call out, when you and I truly call out for Jesus, we're admitting we can't do it on our own. In fact, we can't do any of it on our own. And so it's a gift that forces us to swallow our pride for the longest time, I thought, man, if, if, I just, if I just went to church, if I just did enough good things, if I just got involved in this and I did that, if I did enough good things that I, I could earn my way to God or earn my way towards salvation, but Jesus comes as a free gift to say it's not able, the, the gift of salvation is not able to be earned. There's nothing you can do to earn that salvation. It's a free gift. A gift that while it comes with no strings attached, it does force us to swallow our pride, to recognize that we have faults that we cannot fix ourselves, and to call on the only one who can fix it. Because the third thing that Jesus comes with is he comes as hope. He comes as hope in, in the midst of a situation where it seems like you and I, we, we have no hope. He comes into the, this bleak situation when we're kind of going through life, when we're trying to figure things out, and we say, man, I, I don't understand anymore. Like, I thought I was pro progressing well. I thought I had some momentum in my life. And it seemed like my family was doing better, my health was doing better. And then everything fell apart. And now it feels like all I have is this, this hopeless end to my life. Jesus comes into our hopeless end 
and he offers an endless hope. Jesus comes and, and he offers truth where, where we realize, man, I need to swallow my pride. I need to accept that, that free gift that comes to give me that endless hope. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, he has this, this great teaching. He says, indeed, verse 9, indeed we felt that we had received the sentence of, of death. This is what we felt. This is what we deserved. We felt that we received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely. Not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. If I'm forcing myself to rely upon myself, then it's not really faith. I'm earning some measure of my salvation. But he says this death was forcing us to rely upon God who raises the dead. He delivered us up from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. Now watch this. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that deliverance is, is coming once again. So into this life where it doesn't make sense, Jesus doesn't come and just offer a little bit of hope and, and say, hey, I'm going to offer a little bit of hope. You do the rest on your own. But he comes saying, here's the gift. I'm going to come as a child, but I'm going to grow up and I'm going to offer you what true and authentic hope is. To take you from a hopeless end to your life and to give you that endless hope. And that's what we celebrate tonight. Is that thrill of hope. So unexpected because the deliverer they were longing for was so different from the deliverer that came. But the bigger the surprise, the greater the expectation. When we approach Jesus, when you and I approach the real Jesus, he comes into our life and he shocks us and he surprises us. He gives us a greater measure of expectation about what is next. Pray together. Now, I'm not one who's really big on invitations or anything like that. But I am big on when we approach God's Word every time we approach it. There's an invitation for us to respond individually. Especially as we talk about the hope of who Jesus is. So I just want to do this right now with where we're at. My prayer going into tonight is, has been two things. Number one, God, give us a sense of, of transparency. Let us know our biggest need. And so if, if, if right now, if you're encountering Jesus, and maybe you've never heard stuff like this before, or maybe you've heard it and never want to make a decision to truly embrace the, follow, the teaching of Jesus and really follow him, and that tonight would be the first night that you want to celebrate that fact, that you want to call out to Jesus and say, I want you to come and to save me and to change me and invite him to just be a part of your life. That's where you're at right now. We're not going to ask you to come down front or, or raise your hands or do any of that stuff. I'm just going to ask you right now in the quietness of, of, of your heart to call out to God. Say, I need Jesus right now in my life. I need him to come. I know he lived a sinless life, and he died in my place, that I could have life. 
So right now, from where you're at, if you're calling on Jesus, saying, I want him to come and save me, his word promises that he will do that very thing. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand or come down front, but I'm going to ask you at some point, as we close out the service, fill out on the, on the card in front of you. Just check the box, say, man, today I made that decision to follow Jesus. Give us a chance to celebrate with you. A second prayer going into tonight has been a prayer of boldness. For many of us, we've heard this before. We've made decisions to follow Jesus. And, and for the most part, maybe we've been doing that. But at some point, this story stopped interrupting our lives. It stopped really making a difference where everything we did was about that story. Our prayer going into 2017 is that God would give us a boldness. That he'd forever change this county right now when it seems like hope has been lost. That we'd make much of Jesus in our lives, in our church, in our families. That 2017 would be a year unlike anything we've ever seen. It begins with us right now. Father, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that your word does not return void. And, and God, as your word's gone out tonight, it's, it's challenged us, it's convicted us. And God, I pray for that person who's never made a decision to follow you, that God, tonight, December 18th, 2016, would be the night they celebrate for the first time your birth, not of this world, but your birth into their heart. And that God, you would change them. And God, first, I pray for boldness. I thank you for who you are and how you work in our lives, and God, I pray that you allow us to leave here changed. I believe that you're a good, good father, one that cares about us and loves us immensely. Help us to be more like you want us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.